One of the ironies of life is that if you have a PhD, people don't believe you can do business. It's just a strange thing. The stereotype of the scientist who's sort of in their little world, well, that was never me to start with, but I couldn't convince people that it wasn't me. And so I went and got an MBA to take that next step to be close to the customer. A chemist at heart, Sarah Paisner decided early on that academic research wasn't what she thought it would be, and what she really wanted was to see her products in the hands of users. But with a PhD, no one thought she had a place in the business world. Find out how changing other people's minds about who you can be is as important as changing your own mind about where opportunity lays on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. I'm here today with Sarah Paisner, and we are going to talk about what makes one qualified to say someone else is qualified. Lovely to be here with you, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. All right. I start this the same way every time, asking, when we were in college, who were you? And when we were getting ready to leave, who did you think you would become? When I was in college, I was a chemist. I did chemistry R&D even in college. I published a paper my senior year of college. And I always thought while I was in college that at this point, I would be a professor of chemistry at a university somewhere. Where did the love of chemistry come from? Was that just something that you found when you were in college or had it been honed earlier? Like I think most scientists, we had a fantastic teacher. So I had a teacher in sixth grade who was my science teacher, Ms. Lunin. I still remember her. She made science so interesting. And so I did her class, loved it, uh, went to high school, did uh, chemistry, biology, physics, the whole route. And then I took an AP chemistry class because that's the direction I found most fascinating. Uh, physics was too theoretical for me and biology was too much memorization and chemistry was the right balance of neat stuff and fiery explosions. (laughs) And then I had a chemistry teacher my senior year of high school who just solidified my love of chemistry. She let us blow up stuff and made cool crystals and just, I loved it. And so I always thought, I would become a, a professional of chemistry. That's that's what I thought was going to happen. Yeah, well, and, you know, things change. But you had that dream for a little bit. So you were doing that. And so as we were graduating, what did you see as the initial first step? Graduate school. So I went directly to graduate school at UC Berkeley for chemistry. And that's when I first realized that I didn't want to be a professor. I still find science fascinating. I love learning about it. But the actual lab work, I didn't find as enjoyable. Fewer explosions. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was, eventually it felt like I was doing the same thing over and over. The folks who love lab work, each experiment feels different and new and exciting. And I lost that. I lost that in graduate school. And I watched my uh, advisors and other faculty in their lives. And in the 90s, there was not a lot of balance. Hmm. Uh, Most of the faculty was still male. Most of the faculty was still white. And my professor and his children, there was no relationship. He was never home. And I didn't want that for my life. Uh, I also didn't want the 24-7 slog 
that the uh, top universities required of their faculty. It just didn't seem like a real life to me. So that was my first realization I didn't want to be a professor. That was graduate school. And so at that point, my alternative was R&D at a company, which is what I ended up doing. I went to GE's R&D center after my postdoc at UNC, uh, which I chose specifically because it was closer to the industrial side, closer to industrial chemistry. Because I wasn't in pharma, the pharma industry was off the table in terms of a, a profession. And had that been a decision of yours, Sarah? I don't know the chemi- chem- chemical field. Like, is there a, a strict bifurcation of the kinds of things you're study or studying? Or was that more of a, a choice of what you were interested in? By the time you start graduate school, you're already very specific in terms of what you're going to work on. So I worked in compounds that are catalysts in industrial processes. And those are used all over the world. And I was studying how they worked, the, the mechanism of their action. And so that is not the pharmacide. That's not the total synthesis of the COVID-19 vaccine, for right, example. Right. Right? That's not what I worked yeah. in. So that area, I had plenty of friends in that area, but I did not work in that area. And so uh, when I was looking at my prospects after graduate school, I had three or four options. At the time, there wasn't a lot of discussion of non-science options. Uh, People didn't really talk about them. So I could go to do a postdoctoral fellowship, which is what I ended up doing. I could go into industry, such as GE, such as, you know, other companies like that. Or I could go and become a professor. I'd already decided I didn't want to be a professor. And because of the subfield that I was studying in, it was kind of tough to get a job right out of school, out of graduate school. And so I decided to do a postdoc. And I chose my postdocs on two criteria. Number one, it had to be closer to industry, something that had a direct application to, in industry. And number two, it had to be on the East Coast because I wanted to come back East. So the postdoc I did at UNC Chapel Hill, which is where I still live, was related to the electronics industry. And so I was developing materials that would go into microchips. That's a different kind of chemistry than what I think a lot of people think about. So great. Thank you for kind of explaining what that is. So are those positions that people get into and are like, you know, I I have this specific knowledge, almost like the problem that you were seeing in academia. Like I now am making chips and next year I'm going to make these things for chips that are making the chips faster. And then the next year, I'm going to be making things for chips that are making the chips faster. Is it one of these, like, there you are in industry doing the same thing over and over, which is what you didn't want to do before? So that's what ended up happening. And what the interesting thing for me is the arc of my career is that every new position I took, I got closer and closer to the customer. Hmm. And that was the part that I found most interesting. And so I started, you know, R&D, straight R&D in graduate school. My postdoctoral year, year and a half, because 9-11 happened right in the middle of when I was looking for a job, that was about materials for microchips. And so I actually met with folks from like IBM who were making the chips and the the larger system. And that was fascinating because they were telling me what they actually needed versus me just in my little bubble making stuff. And then from there, I went to GE's R&D Center, which is still very R&D focused, but was one level close to the customer. I mean, it was industry, and they're about you know, making products that they can sell, and so you have to talk to the customer. So at GE, I met all the top chip manufacturers. 
the people, the actual engineers who were building the chips. And that was fascinating. Again, I got to learn what they needed, what they wanted, what they were looking for, and I could adjust what we were developing based on what they actually wanted. And from there, one by one, my positions got slowly and slowly closer to the customer. And that's when I went and got my MBA. So one of the ironies of life is that if you have a PhD, people don't believe you can do business. It's just a strange thing when, in fact, a PhD is literally you're learning how to learn. And so the stereotype of the scientist who is sort of in their little world, well, that was never me to start with, but I couldn't convince people that it wasn't me. And so I went and got an MBA to take that next step to be closer to the customer. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, loved it. Uh, by then I was already living here. I had uh, two kids. I was pregnant with my third and I started a business school in fall of 2011 with a newborn oh. in my late thirties. Loved it. I mean, I didn't sleep for two years, but I <laughs> loved it. And I was probably the oldest person in my class, certainly had the most number of kids in my class. And uh, I don't know if you remember that scene from, uh, what's that movie? I kind of, there's a movie where there's a scene about, you know, a baby in a bar. Well, that was me. I had my <laughs> newborn with me all the time. She was in the, in the sort of pre the classes before the classes start where they kind of get people caught up. I took a couple of those cause you know, I hadn't really done stats and 15, 20 years. So I took a couple of those and uh, it was always me in the back of the room with the baby in the afternoon. In the morning, I put her, she was in a daycare for a couple hours in the morning so I could actually focus on the class. But in the afternoon, all the afternoon sessions, it was me with the baby in the stroller in the back. That was at UNC Chapel Hill, yeah, at the Keenan Flagler Business School. Uh, I love Keenan Flagler. They were so incredibly supportive. I had three young kids. And I came in the week before orientation. I said, look, I need to know the schedule because I need babysitters. And they were like, oh, you'll get the schedule Monday morning. I said, no, no, I, I have three children. I need babysitters. My husband's out of town and I want to be able to attend. I need the schedule now. And they were like, oh, what's your name? I said, oh, my name is Sarah Paisner. I need the schedule and I need the parking pass set up. And they're like, oh, Sarah, yeah, we know all about you. Yeah, let me get that for you. And half the faculty were my age. You know, one of the professors, had his daughter or son in the same daycare as mine. So it was, for me, it was a very different experience than many of my classmates, but I loved it. They were so wonderful. That's great. And you say what I know to be true, which is, you know, you couldn't be taken seriously in the business world with a PhD, which sounds ridiculous, but it's true. But how did you know that that's the path that you, you knew you needed to take? Yes, you were getting closer and closer to the customer, but you were already getting pretty close to the customer. So what was that that link that or that aha that said, I think I need to be on the business side, the real business side of this? I started going on sales trip with the sales team. And as I started going on sales trips with the sales team, I realized that was the fascinating side for me. I had started thinking about going to business already in, gosh, probably four or five years I've been thinking about it. But there's a big jump between thinking about it and quitting your job. And so I had planned to take it in the evening. Um, and then there was a massive downturn. And, you know, half my group got eliminated, including me. And I came home on Friday, January 7th. I called my husband on the way home. I said, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? We have, you know, two kids, one more on the way. Oh, my goodness. You know, I drove home, had my moment of panic. And I said, all right, I'm applying to business school. 
I had already applied for the evening program. I'm applying to the full-time program. Let's see if I can get a fellowship. And this is like a break in my life. Let's just do it. I ended up getting a full ride plus stipend with one of their named fellowships. Once we got that, it was like, well, that, this is obviously the right choice. This is an opportunity that won't come again. And so that was sort of the, the final decision. I had gotten a couple of offers for other jobs but while during this process. Of course, I was interviewing during all this too, but it was just the right choice. It was clearly the right choice to go to business school. And I look back now, it was absolutely the right choice, even though I did it with a newborn. Yeah. So kind of like you described with um, the chemistry of at some point deciding which track you're on, business school is a little bit less like that, but there are certainly mm-hmm. like there's the finance track. And that. so what did you decide was going to be your, you know, the role that, that a scientist could really play and that you as an individual could really play best? Like what was that path that you put yourself on? A skill that I've had for many years is the ability to take complex technical topics and make them understandable to a general audience. It's something I've been doing for decades. And with that skill and that love of science and love of talking to people and love of just sharing science with people, which is something I've been doing since the beginning. I was always doing demos for kids and running science programs. For me, marketing and social media and sales was absolutely the right path. And while I was at it, I did some entrepreneurship classes as well. I actually started a company in business school that epically failed, but it was fun. Uh, It was an expensive lesson, but I learned a lot from it. So I I focused on the marketing track. I was never a big finance person. I understand all of the finance, but the finance side wasn't something that really motivated me. And I love the idea of consulting as well. But consulting requires a lot of travel. And I was in a place in my life where I didn't want to be traveling four days a week. And so for me, that meant that marketing was really the direction I, I wanted to go, marketing and entrepreneurship. At that point, did you find that there was an appetite for now an MBA slash PhD in the industries that you were looking for? One of the great things about Keenan Flagler's business schools, they have a lot of connections and they have a lot of connections with pharma companies, but on the business side. And so they love PhDs with MBAs. That's actually a huge need right now because there's so much science in so many businesses. And so they want MBAs that understand the science. So one of the things, of course, you do is you have interviews for a summer internship and then you have interviews for a full-time job. For the summer internship, I limited myself to this area because I didn't really want to go anywhere. Again, I had a new kid, a family, a mortgage, and it wasn't going anywhere. So even with that, I ended up with quite a few interviews because of my experience, because of my background. And I ended up working for a uh, clinical resource organization in RTP, Research Triangle Park, which was like the perfect spot for me. It's a company that runs clinical trials for Mm -hmm. pharmaceutical companies. So a lot of it was about the chemistry, but I was on the sales side. I was a sales analyst. It was fascinating. I was talking about, you know, sales goals and sales, but about cool stuff. That you understood. Right, that I understood. I felt like I was more part of what would make a difference for the company. It was less esoteric to me. I was developing dashboards for the CEO, helping 
the executive team understand how their sales were going and what was happening. It, I, it was fascinating to me. Great. So you found that you were in the right place. And as you were graduating the second time or a third time around. Uh, <laughs> oh, we have this joke where my husband was like, all right, are we done with degrees? Can we not get any more degrees, Sarah? And I'm like, well, the only thing left is a JD and I'm not interested in being a lawyer. So you're good. <laughs> Yet. Yeah, never say never. No, no, I'm uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at this point, there you are, triple degreed. And what do you decide to do? So I worked in CROs for a few years. And at the time, my father, who owned Synoptic Products, a distribution business throughout North America for uh, electrolysis needles, which is epilator hair removal needles, he decided to move to North Carolina to be closer to his family, so to us. And he moved to North Carolina in 2015 and brought his business with him. Hmm. Now, over the last decade at that point, he had been considering retiring and he'd been feeling out his kids to see if anyone would want to buy from him and take it over. And I had repeatedly said, no, I'm doing other stuff. I'm not really interested. In 2015, when he moved uh, around the time, he started asking me again, you know, do you want to, do you want to run the business? And I said, no, not really. I don't think it's really what I want. And then in 2017, I was working at a clinical research organization in doing sales analysis. I'd done some marketing in CROs and I loved what I was doing. And yet I didn't love what I was doing. Mm. It was a job I thought I wanted in the kind of company I wanted. And it was interesting. And I was interacting with really interesting people and I had a great boss and a great company. And it wasn't really what I wanted. And when my dad, you know, for the umpteenth time said, all right, I'm going to retire. I'm going to sell the business. I was like, wait, sell it to me. I want the business. I want to run the business. And so that started a conversation in early 2017 as he started thinking about retiring, about me taking over the business. And we had a lot of conversations. And by July, I was fully on board. We were both on board. We'd worked out, you know, we'd negotiated the sale price. We worked out all the details. I told my boss at the old company that this was the right choice for me. So I was usually going to tell her and give her my two weeks notice. And she said, please, please don't leave. Don't leave. Just do half time. Start off with half time. Give me time to transition. So I did uh, half time for a month and a half or something. And then when I was fully done, she said, just stay on as a consultant. Please stay on as a consultant. So I actually stayed on as a consultant for another year for her while oh, I was wow. work running the business. And so I took over my father's business. I officially bought it in September of 2017. And it has been a wild ride. He worked with me through the end of the year, helping me transition. And then in January, he was out. He's like, I'm done. I'm out. He was kind of burnt out. So he sort of completely stepped away. And then in January, I started running the business by myself, no employees. And that was great because I learned a lot, right? I learned every detail of the company, which was important to me. Right. Because this is probably something you'd known, like it's dad's thing. I'm, I'm listening to him talk about it. I kind of understand it, but you don't really understand it until you're all alone. Wow. Right. And of course, you know, it's a family business. My siblings and I'd all worked in it at some point or another. Ah, okay. You know, okay. I, I had made his website in 2015. Right. My brothers and sister had all worked in some capacity 
you know, in the office answering phones or de designing things or doing market research, something. We'd all work for him at some point or another because it's a family business. But you're right. It's different when it's your business. Now I had money invested, right? I had a pretty big loan. So I made my living, right? This was my livelihood now. It's very different. Right. And I learned a lot. One of the first things I had to learn was how to call people and ask them to pay, mm. right? <laughs> there are people who don't pay and you're like, we need you to pay. And that's dunning letters, dunning phone calls. That was terrifying at first. And I kept putting it off. And I finally started making calls one day. And I, you know, the company got paid almost 100K in a day because people owed us so much money. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> why didn't I do this earlier? Running a business helped me to understand much better my strengths and weaknesses. So bookkeeping is a weakness for me. I find it both mind-numbing and terrifying at the same time. Because <laughs> right. I'm terrified I'm going to make a mistake. And this is numbers. This is where taxes come from. You can't really make mistakes in bookkeeping and accounting. Right. I found it incredibly stressful, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so my first hire was a bookkeeper. And she started you know, spending a day, half a day a week with me, just dealing with all the bookkeeping, making for sure our accounts were in good shape. That was a huge relief. And she helped me with some changes I needed to do. There's a lot of updating. He hadn't really updated any of his systems since probably 1995. Mm -hmm. And so that took a bunch of time to update systems. And then we sell in US and Canada. We have two currencies, US mm. dollars and Canadian dollars. And it took a little bit of time to separate those a little bit more. So it was easier for the accounting side. And so she helped me with a lot of that. And then by May, June of 2018, I realized, whew, I need help. And I was hanging out with a friend of mine at a sailing event. Yeah, you know, my business is going great. I, I think I need an employee. And he was like, oh, well, my son is around for the summer. You want to start off with a, you know, a summer hire? I'm like, that sounds good. So I hired a high school student, high school grad. So I guess a rising college student just to help me around the office, answer the phone, pack boxes. And that made a huge difference. And I realized I really needed an employee because there was a lot of stuff at the higher level that I had been trying to do, like updating the marketing, updating the social media, coming up with plans on sales and figuring out inventory that I couldn't do if I was on the phone all the time. Had your dad been doing all of this or he had a... No, he had an employee who, that was, oh, yeah, okay. he had an employee who left around the time he wanted, he decided to sell the business. Got it. Got it. Uh, that probably also precipitated him selling the business too. He mm -hmm. had a one to three employees the whole time. Got it. So then he was there for the summer and then I hired my first full-time employee and in October of 2018, the owner of my supplier died. Ugh. And he was, I mean, he's been a family friend for decades at that point. His family was close with our family. That precipitated me becoming involved with the global business, which was my supplier. Uh, I spoke with his widow and she asked me to help run the business for a couple of months uh, with the thought that, you know, she that would give her time to kind of get her feet under her. She had, they have another large business, which she also had to figure out. And I had expected to do this for max six months. Well, it took a lot longer. And so that was 2019. So I dropped everything. 
about my own company and helped her run my supplier. But when you say dropped everything, like you didn't just leave your clients in alert. No, no, like, no. You were still actually, shipping and I'm still all shipping. That. Well, because they supply us and then we shipped all of North America. Right. Right. I hired a second person to help and we ended up having one person focus on my customers and the other person focus on the supplier's customers. Got it. And we did that through 2020. It's a global business. It has international customers. It has like eight currencies. It was a fascinating experience. I learned so much doing this. It was definitely more than I bargained for. And then when the (laughs) pandemic hit, I was completely overwhelmed. Partway through the pandemic, it was clear that I couldn't do all three. And and probably a bit of homeschooling for three children. That was my third. It was running my business, running that business and trying to be home and homeschool and parent and you know, everything. The owner of my supplier and I had a conversation about separating and I officially separated from that in I think late 2020. And I've spent 2021 kind of regaining my footing in my own company because I let a lot of things slide because it just, it was over, everything was overwhelming. It was overwhelming for everybody. Mm -hmm. I love having my own business, right? There've been these challenges, you know, adjusting to a new business, dealing with the death of the supplier, dealing with the pandemic, dealing with, you know, figuring out what people are doing now as we reopen. At every step of the way, it's been challenging. It's been exhausting. It's been exhilarating. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I really kept me going through so many things is my hobbies. That was a consistent thing. I sailed when I was a kid. I sailed at Dartmouth on the Dartmouth sailing team. I taught sailing in grad school. I sail locally now. My husband and I own a sailboat together. We just refurbished a a bigger sailboat and been taking the kids sailing. There's something about consistency. As my career did all its ups and downs, like many people our age, I've been laid off a couple of times. I've had a number of different jobs. I don't think any of our careers are linear anymore. And having hobbies that are consistent, I think, can make a big difference. I've learned so much. I've met so many interesting people. And you realize you can make a real difference in people's lives. That's what I always wanted. And that's the great thing about owning this business. I'm making a difference in people's lives. From the outside, it's just a distribution business. But hair removal is very personal for people. It's very personal for folks who have hair places that make them uncomfortable being out in public. It's very personal for people who are going through the transitioning process. Mm. It's very personal for people who have certain hormonal imbalances. And the needles that we sell are the best on the market. Being able to get these needles from France where they're manufactured to my clients in North America is amazing. I have thoroughly enjoyed the process. Even when I was frustrated, even when I was overwhelmed, even when I felt like I didn't know what I was doing, which by the way happens to every business owner, whether they'll admit it or not, it has been an incredible learning journey. I'm interacting with the customers and the clients and the end users in a way that I'd always hoped. And I found that my chemistry actually makes a difference still. How so? As a chemist, everything is chemistry. So the way these needles work is there's an electrical current that goes through them. 
The needle is put into the hair follicle, to the base of the hair follicle. The current is sent through, and essentially it zaps the hair follicle. It either heats it, and the heat kills the follicle, or it sends an electrical current, which does some chemistry, and that chemistry kills the follicle. And even the heat killing the follicle is still chemistry because it's denaturing the proteins. So I actually created a talk on the chemistry of electrolysis that I've given already four or five times to various regional associations. And when I was putting it together, I sort of knew that chemistry was involved, right? I mean, how can you not? Being a chemist, I'd always heard about it. Well, when I delved into it, it was remarkable how much chemistry was important to this process. And really, I've come full circle. Right. I started with chemistry, thought I completely moved away from it. Yeah. And now I'm back at chemistry. Exactly. That little dream to be a professor. I mean, you are just on a different level, bringing all of these experiences to bear. I think that's definitely a circle. So, Sarah, when for years and years, you and your siblings were like, no, dad, we don't want it. We don't want it. Would you would your siblings now say, oh, we always knew you were going to take it, Sarah? I don't know. I think they probably thought my sister or I would take over at some point or another. Uh, but I think my dad had given up, honestly. I think he'd given up on one of his kids taking over and he was just going to sell the business. It was the right time in my life and my interests were aligned and it worked out. I mean, if he'd sold it five years earlier, I wouldn't have taken it. Right. Right. Well, sometimes those things are either meant to be or not. And it sounds like for now, this is meant to be. And we're just so happy that you've shared the story with us. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. That was Dr. Sarah Paisner, an avid sailor, martial arts enthusiast, and president of Synoptic Products, a medical products distribution company based in the Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill area. You can find out more at synoptic, S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C, products.com. And don't forget, you can find us at roadstakenshow.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Please do follow us and tell others to tune in for another compelling story each week with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, on Roads Taken.